Thanks for checking out the Bridge Podcast. It's not a mistake you found us. We pray God speaks to you today. Check us out Sundays at 10.30 a.m. For more information, go to sfbridge.org. Life is good. How's everybody doing this morning? Good. Good. Happy Orange Sunday. Uh, if you're not familiar with Orange Sundays, it's not something hyper-spiritual. It's just the first Sunday of Deer Opener. And so uh, wherever you at, if you are in this place and you were successful, congratulations. If you're in this place and you hate deer hunting, we're glad to have you here. Wherever you are at today, it's good to be together. Uh, one bummer I have about Sundays is for whatever reason, as soon as I leave this place and start heading back towards home, there is one restaurant that just starts burning inside of my gut of like, I need this right now, I want it in the worst way. And about the time I'm getting ready to punch it into my GPS and I set my sights on this is where we're going for lunch today, I realize they are closed on Sundays. What restaurant am I talking about? Chick-fil-A. Amen. The Lord's Chicken. It is especially blessed. It is awesome. They have the best Dr. Pepper in all of the land. They got that little ice that I'm convinced just makes your pop taste better. Like, you know, I'm talking like the little tiny circular ice. Uh, waffle fries are a gift from the Lord. All those things. Chick-fil-A is awesome. Uh, and the people, the people are just awesome. You will not meet a mean person at Chick-fil-A. And if they are mean, you'd never know it because they're never mean to you, right? They are just awesome, awesome, great people. There's just only one tiny little uh, just uh, tiff I have with Chick-fil-A, and it's this. They need a better speaker system. They need a better microphone when you speak into your order. And here's why. Because Chick-fil-A, their customer service is top-notch. So you order your three sandwiches and your three waffle fries, whatever else your family wants, and you order all that stuff, right? And then they say, can I get a name for the order? And when you say, Derek, it gets misconstrued. So when you get up to the window, they say, order for Jared? Nope, Derek. Order for Eric? Nope, Derek. Order for J Darren? Nope, Derek. This is my favorite one. Because after a while, you get used to really enunciating your name. Can I get a name for the order? Derek. Okay, well, it'll be ready for you when you get up there. One time, I kid you not, I got up and they said, order for Derek? And it was spelled on the little ticket, D-A-R-E-K. And so you guys can now refer to me as direct from this point on because it sounds awesome. But I kid you not, this is an ongoing joke for my family and I. Thank you. Uh, I literally, Meg was away uh, two weeks ago. She was visiting family. And so I ordered my food and they, I got up to the window and they said, order for Garrett? And I went, Yes. I just, I just accepted, yes, order for Garrett. Thank you very much. I snapped a picture, sent it to my wife, and I said, I will forever live in infamy as Garrett from now on because it's just an ongoing thing for us. And, and hear me out, like, like full disclosure, they are, they, are, they are moving food all over the place. I don't actually care. It's just so funny that, like, that, that, that's the, the common joke for us. And here's what I will say in all honesty. Whenever someone announces your name wrong, a lot of times it's not that it inherently bothers you because it's an honest mistake. It's just the thing that when your name, if you have one of those names that kind of gets like mispronounced, like Meg, a lot of time here is May. Like, are you May? Like April, May? No, it's Meg. It's not that anyone, you're not upset. It's just a matter of that's not who you are, right? Like I'm not a Garrett. 
I'm not a Jared. If I was a Jared, I'd own a nice jewelry business and I'd be loaded, right? Like, that's not who I am. I am Derek, right? And so it's not a matter of you're upset that they got it wrong. It's that that's not who I am. Your name is your identity. And if you go back to biblical times, that's even more the case. In biblical times, your name was not just who you are, but your name was a part of what your personality was. So, for example, Peter, when you read about him in the New Testament, his name means rock because as he starts the early church and as he steps up after Jesus ascends into heaven, he is an immovable, strong, foundational leader, just like a rock. There's this man in the Old Testament named Jacob, and he wrestles with God, quite literally. And after this whole wrestling match goes on, God changes his name to Israel, which means one who struggled with God. The last one I want to point to is this man named named Abram in the Old Testament, a man that would become a very, very prominent leader, a man that would do some incredible, awesome things for Israel. After God called him to be this person, he said, your new name is Abraham, which means father of many nations. Your name is a part of your personality. It's part of who you are. And so as such, your name means something. It's significant. So as you might imagine, God has a lot of names in Scripture. I have a screenshot of some of the most popular names you will see throughout the pages of the Bible. You'll see all kinds of different ones. These are primarily translated into English from the Hebrew language. But what I want to point out is these are all different names for different parts of their personality, but it's all about God. God has multiple names. It's like I have multiple names. My name is Derek. You can also call me Stud Muffin. You can also call me Strong Husband. It all means the same thing, right? I'm the same person, but it's different personalities, right? So for us, what we're going to look at through this sermon series that I'm starting today called AKA, uh, we're going to look at some of the different names of God and what they mean because the reason God has so many different names is because there's so many different parts of his character, so many different parts about his personality that explain who he is and how he relates to us as human beings. So today what we're going to look at is one of the most popular of all of this list, the one you will see almost more than any other throughout all of Scripture. The first name we have for God is Yahweh. Yahweh, it's spelled that. It's the ultimate Christian joke. No way, Yahweh. It's it's like awesome, right? It's like the ultimate Christian joke. This is the most common name for Yahweh. God. You'll see it over 6,500 different times in the King James Version of the Bible. But if you were to open a traditional Hebrew Bible, the original, you wouldn't see Yahweh spelled this way. You would see it spelled this way. Y-H-W-H. There are no vowels in it because there's no vowels in the Hebrew language. So, if you were breeding, if you were to see, like when I say the top one, I say Yahweh because I'm using my English vernacular, my English language to pronounce that. If you were a traditional Jewish person and you were to see Y-H-W-H, it would sound just like Jehovah. That's how that's pronounced in Hebrew, which is why when you see the name Jehovah, or you, you're like, where have I heard that word before? We sang it 10 minutes ago, right? That word Jehovah is really the same name as Yahweh. It's the same name. 
The significance part about that is it's not just Jehovah, because here's what Jehovah means. Jehovah, Yahweh, whichever name you want to pick, what it means is the Lord, capital L, Lord of Lords, King of Kings. God is supreme over all other things. But what's cool about Jehovah is you can add a second word to it for a personality. You go back to that screenshot, Asher, you'll see there's a lot of different Jehovah's on that list. You have Jehovah Nisi, Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Rapha. What are all those second words and why are they significant? The Lord is Jehovah. The second word explains the personality. But for example, my name is Derek Mum. That's my first name, last name. If I had a Hebrew name, it would be like Derek Husband, Derek Father, Derek coach that second word is indicative of who you are it's a part of your personality it's a part of what you're doing i wasn't say derek handsome but i don't want to lie in church you have all these different jehovah names what we're going to do today is look at one that you will only find one place in scripture you can open up your entire bible read it from cover to cover and there's one name of jehovah that you will only read in one place and it's exodus chapter 17 here we go starting in verse 8 the amalekites came and attacked the israelites at Rephidim. moses said to joshua choose some of our men and go out to fight the amalekites tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. The Amalekites were kind of like the dirty fighters. They were the guys that like, they were the bullies on the playground that just fought dirty. What do I mean by that? If you look at the nation of the Amalekites, the first time they attacked Israel, they let Israel go past them. And as they went past them, the Amalekites came up from the rear and attacked them from behind. Why that's significant is because when you have people traveling, the men, the strong warriors, went in front. Because someone's going to attack you, they're going to attack you from the front. Who's in the back are the women, the children, and the elderly. So the Amalekites are like, oh, let's attack the back half of the people. We'll take out the most vulnerable. They're mean. They're dirty. It goes against every kind of moral code of conduct you could think of. And so as the Israelites are moving through the wilderness on the way to the promised land, Moses has these instructions from God saying, I need you to attack the Amalekites. Verse 10. So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. Joshua leads the men into battle, picks up his sword, grabs the men, off they go. These were shepherds. These were people that were not warriors by tradition, but they just went and he led them into battle while Moses stood up on the mountain overseeing this whole thing and he prayed. Now, as you just read in the story, what's very interesting is he's holding the staff in his hand, the same staff that when he struck the Red Sea, it opened in half. The same staff that when he hit a rock, water came out from Israel. The staff was a symbol of God. And so as Moses has his hands up, the Israelites are winning. When his hands fall, the Amalekites come back and push back. Back and forth, back and forth, back and forth they go. It's like watching the Minnesota Vikings in real life. 
back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And when he has his hands up, they are winning. Have you ever tried to, like, hold out a remote right out in front of you for, like, five minutes straight? If you want to be humbled really quick, this afternoon, after you have a nice little non-Chick-fil-A lunch, you're sitting on your couch, you're sitting watching TV, do me a favor, pull out a stopwatch, take out a remote, and hold it in your hand like this, I'm going to my phone, just do this for like five minutes, fully, fully extended. Even the most jacked people I know after three minutes are like this. Because after a while, your arms just get so, so exhausted, so, so fatigued. The same thing is happening in Moses, for Moses as he's holding the staff of God. Verse 12, when Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it underneath him, and he sat on it. Aaron and Hur held his hands up, one on one side, one on the other, so that his hands remained steady till sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. Let me finish the story really quick here. Verse 14 and 15. Then the Lord said to Moses, write this on a scroll as something to be remembered. And make sure that Joshua hears it because I will completely blot out the name of Amalek from under heaven. Moses built an altar and called it, the Lord is my banner. The Lord is my banner. You can see it on the screen. If you were to open up your Bible and go to Exodus chapter 17, this little phrase, the Lord is my banner, would be italicized. Whenever you see that in the Bible, what that means is that's a name that's been translated into English. What does the Lord is my banner mean? If you open up to the King James Version, Moses built an altar and called the name of it Jehovah Nisi. Jehovah Nisi. There's that name. One and done. It's an original. It's the only time Jehovah Nisi is said in all of Scripture. And what does it mean? The Lord is my banner. Now, I know all you guys are really smart, so you know exactly what that means, but I didn't. When I was like, what does it mean that the Lord is my banner? I had to look it up. I had to research it a little bit. So I'm going to kind of explain what that means because what's cool about the Lord is my banner is that it was not just meant for 2,000 years ago. The Lord is my banner is something for all of us right here, right now. So what is a banner? We live in Minnesota. We're not used to hanging these. But when you win in sports and you win a championship, you get a banner and you hang it from the rafters as a way of saying, look, we did it. That's a banner. Now, if you're not a sports person, you've inevitably heard this little song. It's kind of popular, kind of singing a lot. It's called the Star Spangled Banner, right? Our national anthem. Where do we get it from? The Star Spangled Banner was written to commemorate a battle from September 14, 1814, when a crucial victory by America over British opposition was symbolized and solidified by the Americans planting a large, tattered American flag as a banner, as a way to say we are victorious. A banner is a symbol that creates allegiance and ownership of an entire group of people, often to commemorate victory. When we have to stand under a banner, it's the whole group. 
It's the whole body. We are a part of this group. So why is it that after this big fight, after this big kind of triumphant victory, that God tells Moses, hey, make sure to write this down. As someone who's scatterbrained, I understand that when you write something down, you remember it. You can come back to it, which is why he says, write it down so you can remember it and make sure that Joshua hears it. Why Joshua? Why did Joshua get this special instruction to make sure that Joshua hears this little battle that the Lord is my banner? So when you read Exodus chapter 17, this is the first time you hear of a man named Joshua. Joshua, the man who led the Israelites into battle. Why does he have to hear this? He lived it. Why does he have to re- remember something that he lived himself? What's cool about Joshua is when you read this story, we are reading about him for the very first time. But Joshua is going to go on to fight many battles for Israel. He's going to go on to fight not just one battle, but two, three, four, more than we can count. And towards the middle to end of his life, when Moses dies, Joshua is the one who's going to take the mantle and lead the whole country of Israel. Joshua would become a critical person. But why? After all those battles, after all that's going to come of him, why is it? that God wants to make sure he remembers this one. The more I look into it, the more I study it, the more I realize, because this battle was not one that was supposed to be won. On paper, everybody, this battle was not even a battle. It was a defeat in the making. The Israelites, they are in the wilderness. They're in the desert. They have no plan. They have no military tact. They have no land advantage. They have limited resources. They're a bunch of herdsmen who have no military experience. They're outmanned. They're outgunned. They have no business taking this fight. By all accounts, this was no fight at all. This was a massacre just waiting to happen. It was a battle that realistically should have never been won. A battle that felt impossible. A battle just like the battle that you and I walk through at various points in our life. Battle that feels like when you get called into the doctor's office and they say, sir, ma'am, it's back. And this time it's more aggressive. We have to start chemo tomorrow. That's a battle. A battle that feels impossible. A battle that sounds like at 30 weeks pregnant, something goes wrong. And it's terrifying. It's mortifying. And when you get to the hospital, they come to you and say, ma'am, we're going to do everything we can, but we're not sure if we can do anything at this point. We have to wait and see what happens. That feels impossible. It feels like a battle that you'll never win. It feels like a battle when you lose that sibling 
that spouse, that person that you love to the nth degree of your fiber and you lost them and the weight of the grief feels insurmountable. That feels like a battle that you can't possibly win. A battle that feels like, you know what, when you know what's coming in this month, you know what's going out, they don't match up. As a matter of fact, you're upside down. You're not sure if you're going to have to pay for that or that because you can't possibly pay for them both. The marriage counseling you're going through, the therapy you're going through, it's not working. And it feels like you're only growing more apart the harder you try. You're not sure if it's even going to work at all. How are you going to tell the kids? How are you going to navigate this battle? It feels impossible when your child is running the direction you don't want them to go. When your mental health is taking its toll on your psyche, on your mind, the depression is setting in, you can't escape it. These are the battles in life that we don't want to talk about, we don't want to admit, but if we're super, super honest, super, super vulnerable, there are battles that wreck us time and time again. And there are battles that feel like we don't even want to fight anymore because on paper, it feels like it's a losing endeavor. A battle, just like the Israelites had against the Amalekites. Church, I need us to understand a lot of times we read the Bible, we know how it's, we know how the Bible ends, we know how it looks, but I need you to understand just how impossible this battle really was. There was no winning this, not in their own strength. Even with the best of circumstances, there's no way that they win this battle. At the very best, with the best circumstances, the best odds, they still are the underdog by a land shot or by a landslide. This was a defeat just waiting to happen. The only kicker is God led them to this battle. The only kicker is that they had Jehovah Nisi on their side. They had God moving on their behalf. They had God doing something powerful. They had God, when they were praying to God, the impossible happened. They pushed back the Amalekites. They were winning. When Moses' arms were up, they were winning because the power of God was working inside of them. It was miraculous. It was powerful. The question is, does that same thing apply to us right here, right now? I would say that it does. Because we have a God that was the same yesterday, today, and forever. Which means the Lord is my banner was not just for the Israelites 2,000 plus years ago. That declaration that God is fighting for us, God's power is within us, is the same promise that we get to have today. So how? Whatever your battle looks like, how do you fight it? Because let's, let's just be really honest. Imagine this. You are Joshua, okay? Young, strapping lad like myself. Just getting ready to go into battle. Just kind of following, wandering through the desert. And Moses comes to you and says, Joshua, gather up your best guys. You're going to go and fight the Amalekites. Awesome, boss. Where are you going to be? Up on the hill over there watching. What a good arrangement, right? What a great arrangement. You get to be up there in safety. But yeah, Joshua just says, okay, why? Joshua was following Moses, and Moses was the prophet of God. Moses was the one who heard from God and delivered the message. So when Moses said to do something, it was as good as God saying you need to do something. 
So Joshua hears, hey, I need you to go and fight the Amalekites. And he says, yes, sir, I'm on the way. How do you fight your battle? How do you fight the thing that you're walking through? Step number one is you have to do what God calls you to do. You know, the toughest time to be obedient is when it feels impossible, when it feels futile. It's so tough to be, yes, God, whatever you say, when doing the exact opposite of that seems so much more comfortable. But those are the moments when you choose to be obedient in spite of the circumstances, in spite of what your context looks like. That is when God can move the most powerfully. You have to do what God's calling you to do. Go to the chemo. Keep trying for that baby. Take the next step in your business. Keep praying. Keep pursuing. Keep loving. Keep doing the small yet big things that God is calling you to do, even when it's difficult. How you fight your battle. You can only imagine that when Joshua was fighting and he was getting pushed back again, he's going, oh my gosh, why am I here? Yet he trusted the process and he kept fighting even when he was being pushed back. Whatever it is that God's calling you to do, even if it's something as bold as sharing your faith, inviting somebody to church, loving somebody, making amends, step into it. You don't have to be fearless. You just have to be courageous to step into what God's calling you to do, how you fight your battle. The second thing to fight your battle is you got to battle with your brethren. Can I tell you, I love this story in the Bible. Because Moses, as much as I just poke fun at him, I would say Moses had the toughest job of them all. Why? Because Moses understood that the moment his arms come down, people die. The moment he stops praying and asking for God's power is the moment the soldiers that follow him perish in the land. He is sitting there praying and praying and praying for God's power to be revealed. And like I joked about earlier, I promise you, they fought till sunset. This was hour upon hour upon hour of Moses on top of this mountain with his arms extended with a six-foot large wooden staff. Heavy. He was strenuous. And as his arms begin to come down, the two people that love him, his brother and a really good friend, they rush to his effort. They rush to his side. They put a rock underneath him for him to be able to stand up, prop himself up on. They take, this guy takes this arm. This guy takes this arm. And together, the three of them hold up their hands. And the Israelites continue to win. You were engineered. You were created for community. You were not created to be alone. I know asking for help is vulnerable. Asking for help is difficult to do. But by refusing to ask for help, it really is pride in reverse. Because what you're saying is, I, ha- I can handle this myself. I'm strong enough to do this on my own. And I'm telling you, you can't. It's not a dig against your strength. It's not a dig against who you are as a person. But it's fighting against how you were created. You were meant to have people help you. You were meant for community. You want to see God move in a situation that has felt immovable? 
Maybe it's time to ask for help. As a church, that's our job. Let us lift your arms up. Let us walk through difficult things with you. Let us be there for you as you walk through some of the toughest battles of your life. Battle with your brethren. Don't battle alone. It's a losing effort. Maybe what God's calling you to do, step one, is to ask for help and to battle with your brethren. Step number three, how do you fight your battles? You have to understand a losing battle is not a lost war. You're going to lose some battles, but it doesn't mean you lose the war. The next time the Amalekites battle Israel, guess who wins? The Amalekites. Israel had this moment where they won and they would lose. They would win and they would lose. But in the very end, what does God say? Exodus 17, verse 14, I will completely blot out the name of Amalek from under heaven. Write this down because I will blot them out. It's future tense. It's a promise of something that's going to happen. It's final. The promise of God is I am going to defeat this enemy. I will. It might be today. It might be tomorrow. It might be 10 years from now. But that's not for you to know. What you need to do, you need to continue fighting, believing the promise that I have for you, believing that I will defeat them. Even when Joshua was fighting, it was still hard. Even when Moses was praying, it was still hard. When you walk through battles, I'm not saying it's going to be easy. I'm not saying it's just going to be all rosy and chipper and life is great. But with Jehovah Nisi, we have victory in the end. We have victory. The breakthrough we're hoping for, the breakthrough that we are praying and pleading for, it's possible if we just keep fighting because here's the deal we stand under the banner that is god alpha and omega the beginning and the end the author and the finisher of our faith it's not we have to manifest power over our battle it's we have to trust that god's power is working inside of us that's what jehovah nisi means that's what the ban- the lord's our banner means it means the battle is ours but the power is god's We still have to fight the battle. We still have to walk through the storm. But we don't walk through it and battle through it in our power, in our strength. We rely on his. Because here's what you have to understand. You might feel like you're on an island. But Jehovah Nisi is fighting for you. He is fighting for you. And he is pushing back the enemy. He's pushing back the difficulty. He is pushing it back. And he needs us to trust that he is, that he is bigger, he is stronger, he is victorious. Jehovah Nisi, the Lord is our banner. Church, here's my challenge for all of us this morning. I know even as I speak right now, some of you are walking through some of the toughest battles of your entire life right now, actively. Let us be your Mo, or your Aaron and your her. 
Let us be the ones lifting your arms up and making sure you're going through this thing, not alone, but on on a team. Here's what I'm also going to say. There are a lot of people in our town, in our city, in our state, in our world who don't have a Moses who is interceding on their behalf. Joshua, if he walks into that battle without Moses' prayers, he gets run over. He gets decimated. But it was because of Moses praying for Joshua, praying and interceding that God's power would be realized that he pushed back the enemy. There are people in our community, people in our church, people that we know in our homes who need Jesus, who need to know that there's a man named Jesus who took their sin, took their mistakes, took their sins, and took them down to the grave and left them there so that we can be free, so that we can inherit eternal life. But unless they have somebody like a Moses interceding on their behalf, they're going to get run over. So who in your life, who in our town that do you know of that needs him? Because my challenge for you is start praying for him. Because the battles they're in can't be won on their own. They need him. The Lord is strong and victorious. You might be sitting here going, Derek, I got enough battles of my own. I can't pray for somebody else. Little context about Moses. Moses was leading a group of people that questioned his leadership with every turn. That did not like him. His battle was leading a bunch of people who didn't want to be led. Yet it was him who prayed for his people. And God answered his prayer and theirs at the same time. You can be walking through your battle, but also praying for somebody else's. And you'll see God move in a powerful way in you both. Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to give you a chance to respond. Not going to call you up. Not going to point you out. Here's what we're going to do. I believe there is somebody, even as I'm speaking, that you can think of that you know needs a Moses. They need someone interceding on their behalf. Maybe that somebody is you. Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to bring down the lights for just a second. Lexi's going to play for one minute. You can write the name down on a connect card. You can pull out your phone. But I want you to take the next minute and just think about who this week are you going to strategically pray for? Strategically pray that God would speak and move in their life. It might be somebody you know, somebody you're close to, somebody you don't know, a coworker. But I want you to think of somebody that God puts on your heart to pray for. Please, if it's more than one, write them all down. But write down people or somebody that you can pray for this week to ask God to move on their behalf. And then I'm going to close us out. So boys, we'll bring down the lights. Take the next minute to think. You can pray. You can reflect. But when you can think of that one person or those people that you want to pray for this week, write them down, put them in your phone, and commit to praying for them this week. Jesus, you are Jehovah Nisi. You fight our battles when we're too weak to fight. It's your power and your strength that carries us through when it feels impossible. 
God, I pray for the people in this room who walked into the church today. God, even getting out of bed was a challenge today because the battle they're in is so strong. It is so fierce. But God, I pray that today they would understand that Jehovah Nisi, the Lord is my banner, is something that's not just a whim. It's not a last-ditch effort. It is a legitimate, genuine power that is alive and active in our world today. God, you are moving. God, you are shaking. God, you are real. And there are real battles that have real resolutions. And I pray, God, this week, today, God, they would feel your power, your strength, your wisdom, your peace, your presence in their life as they go to work tomorrow, as they go back to their family, as they go back into their mental health. I pray, God, that there would be a renewed strength, a renewed power that comes from Jehovah Nisi for the names on the paper, the names on the phone, the names that are on their heart. I pray, God, that we would pray, we would seek you, and God, there would be breakthrough in their lives. God, I know that there are battles that are to come, battles behind us. God, I know there's all these different things, but today we choose to remember like Joshua. With each battle that comes, we choose to remember of when you've been faithful, when you've been there for us, and we choose to believe today that you are strong. You are victorious, and Jesus, you are enough. For even the most oppressive of enemies. Jesus, today, we declare and we wave our banner that says, The Lord is my banner that I stand under. Today, God, we accept and we declare your power at work within us. We love you, Jesus. And everybody said, Amen. If you are excited for a victory this week, can we put our hands together for a victory? This has been a podcast of the Bridge Church. Have a great week. Stop in Sunday sometime and visit. If you would like to give, you can do so online at sfbridge.org. Have a great week.